Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with our film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. Richard, we've lost Joanna and Mike for another week. They're in and out of Los Angeles. Yeah, you know, they're doing flashier things. They're, they're, they've gotten too big for this little podcast, but we're here. <laughs> we are never too good for this little podcast. No. But we're here to continue obsessively talking about the Golden Globes, which happened several days ago, but I think have uh, been really interesting, both for the headlines that it made about Oprah running for president and about everyone wearing black and the Time's Up movement, but the kind of lack of clarity it's offered us in the Oscar race. Richard, you and I wrote a piece on Monday about what the Globes did or didn't say about the Oscar race. And I feel like what we both kind of determined is it's still really up in the air. Yeah. I mean, and I think we were careful to sort of caveat that like the Globes as predictors for the Oscars really aren't great because the voting bodies are so different. There's no overlap. Obviously, there are certain movies that that both awards things will share and certain wins. But yeah, that said, we did try to kind of see what we could divine. And yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of the categories, I was rereading the post yesterday, a lot of the categories were just like kind of end with a, well, you know, who knows? (laughs) And the major thing was three billboards winning four things, including best drama, I feel like its front runner status had kind of been up in the air, like or questioned lately. And I feel like now it's back in the kind of lead position. And I feel like Martin McDonough is now really, you know, ahead of the pack in terms of screenplay. I mean, that said, the, the Academy is a much bigger body. It's made efforts to be more diverse. So so one would hope that Jordan Peele for Get Out or Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird could pose credible threats to McDonough's kind of ascendancy there. Um, but I think, you know, something that, that, that you pointed out to me that Joe Reed pointed out initially, a friend of the podcast who writes for Decider, was Barbara Streisand, who presented the the Best Picture Award, at, you know, the last one of the evening. And when she opened the envelope and saw that it was three billboards, she she was visibly, audibly excited for that. And I, and I think she had tweeted about it a, a few days prior, saying it was one of the three movies she saw this year and she loved it. And and as Joe said, he was like, that's a pretty good indication of, of what, I mean, Barbara Streisand is, is kind of a you know, the sort of er Academy member in, in a way, like, you know, I mean, she, she's liberal, you know, but she's older and she's been out in LA for years. And, you know, so uh, if she liked that movie, if she's connecting with its sort of female empowerment and not really grappling with or choosing to ignore uh, its other aspects, its racial aspects, uh, then maybe, you know, maybe as Barbara goes, so goes the rest of the Academy. I don't know. Yeah, I think the thing to watch with three billboards on Sunday, honestly, was Frances McDormand's speech, where I had predicted that Meryl Streep was going to win because everyone wanted to see her give a fiery speech. And then, of course, Frances McDormand wins and gives a fiery speech. And she stands up there and just says something along the lines of like, yes, I have a lot to say. And everyone cheered for her just from that. It's like she is this reflection of the character she plays in the movie, who is kind of fearless and like out for justice, uh, but a lot less morally complicated. Uh, Frances McDormand is not a hard person to root for. And it seemed like she kind of crystallized the like female empowerment angle of three billboards that is what is propelling it to the front of the pack at this point i think and also having throughout the night you know someone will come out and introduce the next nominated film you know is and and they'll just do a little package about the movie and then um so we kind of are aware of what's in the running until the end and so salma hayek did it for three billboards you know salma hayek who got a lot of attention for her new york times article that she wrote about her experience with harvey weinstein and that felt very pointed that they chose her for for, to introduce that movie so i think that's 
clearly the angle they are going, uh, you know, and, and I think that despite the fact that it's racial politics have been most of what people have lasered in on, on Twitter or in, in essay form or whatever, that, that other narrative, the, the more, you know, the way more positive one could be enough to just uh, let it kind of steamroll through this very uh, uncertain year. Well, and at the same time, it's maybe main competition in that narrative is what won in the comedy category. It's Lady Bird. And mm-hmm. Greta Gerwig wasn't nominated for Best Director, which you know, I think everyone was kind of fairly horrified by. Uh, but she presented the film and then accepted the Best Picture Prize. And so she was very visible this entire night. And she and Saoirse Ronan are both fantastic representatives for this film and very visible reminders that this is a female-directed story. It's a story about a woman. It is not hashtag problematic the same way that Three Billboards is. And, you know, winning in the comedy category isn't as much of a correlation with winning Best Picture for various reasons. But I think Lady Bird, you know, even though Laurie Metcalf lost Alice and Janney, I think that's the one major oversight and lost in screenplay, I still think it came out of the night pretty well. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's something you said was that like, just just having Gerwig up on stage when it won Best Comedy, like it, it was very, she she had presence at the show, you know, she and, and, and Ronan, you know, were, I don't know, there, there was a kind of, other than the kind of political stuff surrounding the show, like, there was just kind of a dour mood about about the, the Globes this year for some reason, maybe just because it was a lot of dark stuff, both in, in, in terms of the films and TV shows being honored, but and also the, the rest of the world. So when Gerwig was on stage, when Ronan was on stage, it just brought this brightness to it that I think felt very welcome. And so I wonder if, you know, you could look at in some ways as the, as the Globes being sort of the audition, the, the, the acceptance speech auditions. And so maybe the Academy will, will sort of like say they want more Gerwig or, th- you know, and so nominate her in Best Director. Or uh, I think she's a shoo-in for a screenplay nomination, but a director one seems, seems a little more up in the air. Yeah, I've been kind of saying that I think she's going to get a Best Director nomination and Jordan Peele, uh, which is, I think, me getting more optimistic about what I want to happen rather than what realistically will. But I do think that the tone of that night and, you know, everyone talking about women's roles in the industry, like I think if you're an Academy member filling out your ballot, which are due at the end of this week, like you don't look at the opportunity to nominate a woman with this beloved movie and not and let it go. Like, I think even if you're not the biggest Lady Bird fan, you want to see that happen. Yeah, I mean, I guess the question is about, you know, because the the individual branches are doing the nominating for each category, let's, you know, will the directors kind of welcome Gerwig or, and, 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 and who is, you know, second time director, she co-directed a Mumblecore movie years ago, but this is her first kind of solo debut and it's definitely Jordan Peele. So, you know, it just kind of depends on whether or not they want to let them into the club, so to speak. And I think that the the Globe nominees for Best Director, which were Guillermo del Toro, Luca Guadagnino, Nolan, Spielberg, and Ridley Scott. I think that we can X out Ridley Scott. I do not think he will get a, an Oscar nomination. I, I, that was kind of a, a strange anomaly that the Globes nominated all the money in the world for as many awards as it did. So, okay, that leaves a slot open for either Gerwig or Peel, And then you have Spielberg. And I don't, you know, Bridge of Spies was nominated for a bunch of Oscars, but Spielberg did not get in for that. I feel like the Post's momentum has slowed considerably. So maybe that makes him vulnerable. And then you get both Peel and Gerwig in there, which would be, I, in my mind, the ideal yeah. outcome. Well, and looking at the Best Director branch, I know that there is a, there's a clubbiness to the Oscars. And once you're in, they want to nominate you over and over again. But the Director branch, I think definitely in the last five years has shown an openness to newcomers. Like Tom Hooper is nominated for mm-hmm. the King's Speech. I think that was his set, for his first feature because he'd made John Adams the miniseries before. Uh, ben Zeitlin famously got nominated the year that Ben Affleck didn't. Last year, Damien Chazelle wins for his also second feature, I think. The, or Lenny Abramson got nominated for Room. Like, there's definitely a, a willingness to bring new people. What do all those people have in common, Katie? 
what do most of the people who've ever been nominated for Best Director yeah, have in common? Yeah. No, but you're right. It's not that they're allergic to first-time directors. It's just that these are both first-time, well, Gerwig, first and a half, let's say. Sure. Uh, and But they don't also fit the kind of traditional mold, let's say, of a director. So I hope that that is not an obstacle for them, but, you know, past dictates that it, it might be. Do you think that Greta Gerwig, like, secretly wishes she hadn't co-directed Nights and Weekends just to simplify <laughs> this entire process? <laughs> I find it very confusing. because, Like, that's not a movie that anyone really credits to her or her filmography at this point. Well, it was an interesting thing because I wasn't really aware of that. And But then we were at the New York Film Critics Circle. We have a award for Best First Feature. And someone over email had to make it clear. They're like, just by the way, Greta Gerwig is not eligible for this. It's fair. It's 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 true. It wasn't her debut, directorial debut, but it just it feels like it is. Well, I'm sure uh, Jordan Peele is grateful because it's cleared the way for Get Out to win every first feature prize that there possibly could be. Yep, and it won ours. So, uh, just going back to you talking about the Globe speeches and audition for the Oscars, I'm curious what you think impact that might have for Sam Rockwell, who was, I think, the likeliest competition for Willem Dafoe, who mm-hmm. had won all of the Critics Prizes. We kept talking about him as the only like real lock in a category, and then he goes and loses the Golden Globe, which also let us remember Mahershala Ali lost the Golden Globe last year to Aaron Taylor Johnson. So weird things happen. But he gave a good speech. Sam Rockwell's a likable guy. Like that, that felt to me like a powerful boost for him. It did. And I don't know if this is actually any indication of anything, but like we don't know if anything is an indication of anything. So let's just go with it. <laughs> but um, when they were announcing the nominees in that category, the room went crazy for Sam Rockwell. He's like uh, really beloved, I think, in the industry, mm-hmm. from what I can tell. And that goes a long way. I'm sure Defoe is, is really well liked. He seems like a nice guy, but maybe... There's a sense with Rockwell that he's more due. He has more to do in Three Billboards than Defoe does in Florida Project, arguably. Yes. Yeah. It's definitely a flashier role. I mean, Sam Rockwell is the co-lead of that movie. Let's, yeah. I mean, you know, so there's that. Yeah. I, and I was thinking about it. And as much as I take issue with, with Three Billboards and particularly with the way that Rockwell's character is handled, he is good in the movie and he has been good in many things in the past. So I actually wouldn't be like bereft if if he won over Defoe or Richard Jenkins or my favorite Stuhl, Michael Stuhlbarg, who I don't mm-hmm. even know if is going to get nominated at this point. But yeah, I mean, supporting actor is funny because it, I think we've said this before on the sh- on the podcast, is that like, it's just a bunch of people who we like and have been around a while and are and are kind of, <laughs> you know, and it'd be, like, it'd be nice for, for a lot of them to win. So yeah, I mean, I still think the power of Defoe as a representative for the Florida Project is going to carry him a long way. Like that movie is definitely quieter. And it was, you know, for the Golden Globes, like I don't think it was ever going to be the kind of movie that took off at the Globes. But I think anyone who sees it, and I think people will see it because they hear that Defoe is really good in it. Like I think there's, there's a way to build momentum there. Unless this huge wave of support for Three Billboards happens where it goes and wins eight Oscars or something, which would be really wild. I still think that edges out Rockwell, even though, like you said, like he's got a lot of the same like likable veteran factors that Defoe has going for him. And and what do we think about supporting actress, too? Because I feel like that sort of shook up a narrative a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I expected Janie to win. I think her having the flashier role of the two alone kind of pushes her there. And I think at this point, I would give her an edge over Laurie Metcalf. But I like I'm kind of anticipating like Lady Bird getting a lot of nominations and kind of the momentum for that building and it becoming like a favorite going into it. And if maybe Frances McDormand is going to win Best Actress over Saoirse Ronan, then maybe Laurie Metcalf emerges. Like, I think there's a lot of room for those narratives to keep changing. And of course, the SAG Awards are coming up and that could, you know, if Alison Janney wins that, maybe then she's a lock and it's over or maybe someone else wins. Yeah, it's funny. I think maybe also part of my sort of sour mood when I was watching the show on Sunday was, I mean... 
I guess every year there are multiple movies that I'm rooting for in a way, but this year in particular, it feels like there are so many special movies between Get Out, Lady Bird, Call Me By Your Name, Florida Project, that, and just knowing that something is going to come up short and be disappointed, it's uh, like, it's kind of a bummer. So as Lady Bird's best chance of an Oscar, I, I think, is is Laurie Metcalf. Uh, that that was kind of a bummer for me, and you you know how I feel about Itanya, you know. And I'm wondering the same way. I, I think that Call Me by Your Name is the front runner in adapted screenplay, which is its, pro- it's probably strongest chances. I feel like it's the strongest front runner in any category because of the way adapted screenplay looks. Yeah, and and James Ivory, you know. So so I'm hoping that everything gets to spread the wealth a bit, you know, that it's not, I think, you know, Three Billboards getting four big awards just felt kind of like, oh, God. Yeah, I think that was, the, that was the weird thing about it is because we've spent this entire season talking about how it's wide open. There's this room to share the wealth. Like, I think we've all been thinking about the idea of maybe, you know, there's the biggest Oscar winner on the night is two, like, like Spotlight was and everything else kind of goes home with something. And so to have something run the table in that way, uh, Although I think that's what happens when you have a group of like 85 people who are kind of unknowable. Like the the sample size of the Globes is just so minuscule to compare compared to the actual Oscar voters. Well, right. It's a different demographic in a way, you know. So we'll see. I'm hoping for the wealth being spread. And then I guess the other big category we haven't really talked about is is actor because Best Actress didn't tell us anything because it was Ronan and it was McDormand and they've been front runners the whole time anyway. So like, I mean, I guess like, well, didn't last week we kind of float the possibility that Sally Hawkins was going to make a run at this like that, that it feels like it at least solidified it that we've got McDormand and Ronan who were at the top of the pack. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think it was heartening to see Shape of Water win Best Score and Best Director like that mm-hmm. means I think that movie is still in the hunt for things, although that feels like more of an HFPA movie than an Academy movie for some reason. I don't you know. But yeah, but best actor, I mean, Franco winning, I think he'll get nominated. I think that's maybe, you know, an indication of that. But like, although unless, you know, the the kerfuffle that started on Golden Globes night, I mean, he had a New York Times event canceled and he was uh, on Colbert addressing um, some allegations against him that were brought up by Ali Sheedy on Twitter on Sunday night. And I think a couple other places, Um, you know, voting ends on Friday, so it might be too late. But uh, that's kind of a a bad time for all that to be surfacing for him. Well, and look, it's happening to Oldman too. I'm um, uh, happening yeah. to Oldman. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> bad phrasing, I think. But like, uh, you know, the minute after Oldman won, the second after he was trending, and it was all these people pointing to a Playboy magazine an interview he did uh, in 2014, and then from the early 2000s, uh, you know, alleged domestic abuse incident and uh, against his ex-wife and. The really stark, tragic irony of Franco and Goldman and many other men wearing those, you know, Time's Up pins and then winning award, you know, uh, it was not, they were not great optics. And I wonder if maybe the Academy will shy away from them. Uh, like we've all said a million times, they're, they are slow to react in certain ways, but maybe there is, maybe, you know, well, time is up. Um, which I guess would mean that Timothy Chalamet is the front runner. But well, I was going to say that's why you just have to give Oscars to twenty-two year olds who aren't old enough to have done too many terrible things in their life. Well, yet. one hopes anyway. Those <laughs> <laughs> yeah. students of Laguardia High School hopefully don't have any too many stories to tell. Uh, no, I mean I think that stuff could definitely like the the PR teams behind Disaster Artist and Darkest Hour are definitely like watching all of this, holding their breath. I'm sure. I don't know if it'd be too. I feel like they're both Oldman and Franco are both still likely to get nominated, and then after that we. Um, kind of f- see where that all shakes out. Yeah. I mean, Tom Hanks is right there. Yeah, that's Most true. Most likable man in the industry. That's true. That's a real gimme. 
But yeah, so I wrote something after the Globes, just kind of doing an assessment of the show, focusing a lot on Oprah and about the Time's Up stuff, and but also you know saying that it was kind of disappointing to see billboards win and whatever. And several people, you know, I don't know, a dozen or so on Twitter responded to me um, that. I was kind of missing the point of award shows, which was which are to oh, just award, devoid of any sort of broader context, the best things of the year. And sometimes those are just, uh, you know, it just happens to be a movie about straight white people or whatever. And I see their point in a way, but like that sort of applies an objectivity to something that's inherently subjective. And I'm wondering from you, Katie, like, do you think that the HFPA or the Academy, how, how big is their mandate to give awards to things that you know, quote unquote, you know, deserve it in a sort in a sort of um, visibility sense or a, a political sense, or or do you think the awards should just be that should not be really a consideration when when these people are voting on this stuff? I mean, I feel like that's what this entire podcast is about: is that awards are handed out for reasons that uh, have a million motivations, and often someone will look at their ballot and say, or like in the case of Gary Oldman, like I think he gave a really phenomenal performance. As much issue as I might have with his things that he has done in his life, or you know what he has sta- what he stands for, like I would probably vote for him in the end. But that doesn't mean that I, as a you know hypothetical Academy member, don't want to see a woman get nominated or don't want to see a black man get nominated for best director. Like I think all those things are tied up together so much that there, you know, and I think you know this as a critic who people are telling you you're wrong all the time. Like there's no objective good or bad or no objective like best thing in a field. Like everything is influenced by the biases that you're bringing into it. And I think there are some Academy members who are going to say like. I want to go with objective truth. I'm an old white man and I don't feel like I have to vote for anyone but old white men. Uh, but I think that's becoming a smaller and smaller proportion of the group. And then you just get people whose tastes are going to be different and who don't want to vote for Get Out because it represents something, but who think that's the best movie of the field. Like it's, you're broadening the scope of what people are going to think are best. That's uh, so far beyond what, you know, the the Academy that voted for Driving Miss Daisy as best picture is just so dramatically different <laughs> that it's barely the same group. <laughs> Forgot about that. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I I think to watch the Golden Globes and think that it's awarding the objectively best thing is definitely a useful way to look at it because that is what the people are voting for. But the the human factor in all these awards is so big. And what is everyone reading about in the news but the same Time's Up stuff that the rest of us are? Yeah. And I also think I'm I'm sorry to use you as the sort of vessel to respond to these people on Twitter, but like, (laughs) but there's no like real rule about what these people have to do. I mean, it's all it's all made up. And and also a lot of movies that are diverse and representative of people but aren't very good aren't getting awarded you know i think it it, it can it's it's high quality and maybe and something else you know let's start yeah. with the quality and then if there are other considerations i think there's nothing wrong with that and maybe it's 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 the what we should be doing right now and i know that people don't like that word should and, and it feels very prescriptive and 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 railroading or whatever but i think that these award shows increasingly you know the ratings are, are going down for them people are still interacting with it but it's it's not in the same way i think they're very inward facing now they're very industry and so when a movie like moonlight wins uh, a, a bunch of oscars including the, the highest prize that that's an indicator to i think other people in the industry about making further films like that yeah you know yeah and obviously it brings the attention to the movie in a, in a more broader public sense so you know if these awards bodies are not careful about that you know then the, everything starts to look the same again and, and you, you know regress and i don't want to see that happen wait so you, you feel like the regression could happen just for a lot of like instructive like vote for the kind of movie that you want to see more made of over and over again i feel like if the argument is being made that a vote for get out or a vote for ladybird is just a token vote it's just for the optics of it all it's not actually Actually, because it's the it's the best movie of the year, or the best screenplay of the year, or best direction of the year. The easiest way that certain members of Ward's Bodies, the Academy, 
the easiest way they have to correct that is to just go back to, well, we'll just do the thing that was written and directed by a straight white man yeah. about sure, straight, sure. white people, yeah. you know, because that's what there's more of. So I don't know. I just I just feel like we're at a moment when uh, we have the Academy has some good progress, you know, momentum going with the Moonlight wins last year. And there's a lot there's so many interesting things they could award this year that aren't the sort of familiar demographics. And I just hope that they bear that in mind. And I know that they can make their decisions in any way they want to make their decision. But like my hope is that they're conscious of that. And I think that there's obviously been a push to make that a reality. But we'll see. No matter what happens at this point, like you're going to get something that is not fitting the the artist mold or the imitation game, which, you know, didn't win Best Picture, but was kind of the like a super classical Best Picture nomination. I mean, even Three Billboards, which you and I both have our problems with, like that's got a super complicated female lead. And you look back at the last, you know, decade of Best Picture winners. I mean, the last one of them that centered around a woman was Million Dollar Baby, which was directed by Clint Eastwood and kind of had its own whole thing. These are all kind of unusual movies in their own way. I think we're so far removed from the the Driving Miss Daisy Academy or the Imitation Game Academy that we're not in as much of a risk of regression. Like even Dunkirk, which is about all white men, is a super unusual, innovative, fascinating movie. So I'm I'm happy with where we've landed, even if Three Billboards would not have been my horse that I would have written out of this whole thing. Yeah. I had heard something about Dunkirk, though, about how there's a BBC article from the summer about how there were a bunch of um, Indian or South Asian soldiers mm-hmm. on the beach and we don't, we don't see them in that movie. So I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we should just not make some World War II movies for a while. Just, just, you know, I mean, I'm a big fan of Darkest Hour, but that and Dunkirk, and but, uh, I'm a big fan fine. of World War II movies. What am I talking about? So <laughs> <laughs> This year, I'm going to eat better and spend less time and money at the grocery store. Thanks to Butcher Box. ButcherBox is the meat delivery subscription that gives me more time for what matters most. Each month, they send a box of the highest quality meats for a better price in the grocery store, which gives me more time to spend cooking and sharing delicious meals with friends and family. Each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of high quality meat right to my home. All meat is free of antibiotics and hormones. Each box has 9 to 11 pounds of meat, which is enough for 24 individual meals. It's packed fresh and shipped frozen and vacuum sealed so that it always stays that way. I can customize my box or go with one of theirs. Either way, I get exactly what I want. ButcherBox is really the most affordable and convenient way to get healthy, humanely raised meat. With ButcherBox, you get the highest quality meat for just about $6 a meal. And they even have free shipping nationwide, except for Alaska and Hawaii. So start your year off right with up to 10 pounds of free meat. For a limited time, ButcherBox is offering new members their ultimate keto bundle when you sign up today. That includes one pork butt, two pounds of ground beef, and three pounds of bone-in chicken thighs for free in the first box by going to butcherbox.com slash cadence. That's butcherbox.com slash cadence. Maybe we should move from the Globes at this point into the kind of flood of other awards yeah. nominations that have been happening lately. There's other stuff. Um, when this episode comes out, the Critics' Choice Awards will have already happened, um, so we'll get some more perspective from that, although that's just, you know, in some ways just another critics group, so maybe it's the same as everyone else. Uh, but the Producers Guild nominations happened last week. I think the Producers Guild often will lean a little bit more towards studios and towards some bigger movies, but they made some really interesting choices on both sides. Like They included Wonder Woman, which is fascinating, and then also Molly's Game. Like, that's a... And also Amy Pascal produced Molly's Game, which I didn't put together. She has that in the post. Good for her. 
So anyway, what what did struck you about these PGA nominations? Well, I mean, the Molly's game. You know, you know, I'm a fan of that movie, and I'm tickled to see it holding on. You know, I didn't I didn't think it would. I thought that it's out in theaters. I don't you know I don't think many people. It's it's done okay, but it got Golden Globe nominations. It has a Writer's Guild nomination, I believe, and now a PGA. So that was encouraging. Again, you know how I feel about Itania. So blah blah blah. But otherwise, I feel like it's the stuff that we thought it was would be right. I mean, was there any snub? I don't see one. I mean, I was happy to see the big sick get in there yeah. that's like the opposite of a snub but then you know that movie has been kind of hanging in there and we've talked about how in another year it might have been like a shoe-in for the best original screenplay prize but because that category is so crazy it wasn't quite going to happen i mean and yeah that and i Tanya, which i do like um is another kind of underdog i mean I, i've heard people say it's a dark horse contender for best picture which i think looking at you kind of have to consider anything that makes the pga list a dark horse contender for best picture um so yeah those are those are definitely in the hunt in a way that maybe we didn't expect i mean i would have liked to see mudbound on there I think that's been had a muted enough campaign that it can't be considered a shoe in for anything, but that could have been a good boost for that movie. Uh, yeah, I saw some people, I think, on Twitter when these nominations came out last Friday saying that, that the lack of a PGA thing for Mudbound is like really not a good sign, you know, yeah. for, for that movie's future in this season. Yeah, because that's a big movie. Like the Producers Guild, like honors kind of massive accomplishments in just getting the film made. And Mudbound is is not, you know the Florida Project also didn't make that list, but that's the kind of thing that's scrappy and smaller and might get overlooked by them. But Mudbound shouldn't have been. Yeah, and one thing to note about the PGAs, you know, we like to see how their any of these other bodies how they their voting syncs up with the Academies. And in the last two years, they have run counter to the academies. Um, last year, La La Land won at the PGAs and famously lost at the Oscars. And the year before, The Big Short won at the PGAs, which I remember being a sort of seismic thing. Everyone's like, holy hell, is that movie going to gonna take the Oscars, which it ultimately lost to Spotlight? I think people thought The Big Sick could have run up and grabbed Best Picture basically until the very end. Like it, Spotlight was kind of a, a, a quiet old reliable horse that yeah. season and then in years previous to that you have birdman 12 hours a slave argo the artist king speech hurt locker slumdog no country so then that all synced up until you have to go all the way back to 2007 when little miss sunshine won and then the year before brokeback mountain won so there's been said there have been several years of agreement with the oscars but but now it seems like we're maybe circling back to a period of of uh discord between the two bodies yeah, I mean, watch Dunkirk win the PGA and then kind of, you know, give that movie a boost, which I think it could really use at this point. It's uh, watching Christopher Nolan sit there. I think it was um, our colleague Nicole Sperling who tweeted that she overheard Christopher Nolan say to his wife, like, just one more of these and then we can just one more of these to lose and then we can drink. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what do you think? Is it just the timing? Is it that it came out too early? Is that what's... I think it's that it's not... It doesn't have the narrative to speak to the moment. Right, I mean, this right. is something we talked to Mark Harris about a couple weeks ago. Like, you know, Three Billboards is really writing that. Lady Bird is. Get out. You know, the Florida Project in its own way. Like, Dunkirk is exceptionally made in every possible way, but it just doesn't say anything about the present no. moment. And this year and last year, too, it just feels so important to do that. Like, everyone is so, like, spun up about the state of the world and politics that you can't not think about it when you even vote for the Oscars. Yeah, it's it's. I guess it's, it's more of a technical accomplishment. So, like, it'll probably get t sound mixing or sound editing or, you know. Like, sure, yeah. Um, it's so incredibly made but yeah you're right it just doesn't have the kind of heat yeah i mean and i love dunkirk like i was kind of excited about the idea that christopher nolan would finally get his due at the oscars like if he doesn't get the best director nomination which seems extremely possible like oh what, what can this guy do what more can he do to get their attention
<laughs> make a movie starring a woman, maybe. <laughs> well. Um, so let's look at the the BAFTA nominations, the British Academy of Film and Television, uh, which were announced this week as well. Uh, the BAFTAs can also go their own way in kind of weird and fun ways. My favorite being that uh, Hugh Grant got a Best Supporting Actor nomination for Paddington 2, which is not eligible for Oscars until next year. But uh, I'm sure he's... Ha- have you seen it? No, I hear it's great. But didn't he also get a nomination last year for... Florence Foster, and then he didn't get the nomination at the Oscars that people thought he was going to get. Oh, that sounds right. He's good in Florence Foster Jenkins. That's great. I just love that he's in there for that. Okay, yeah, what else? Best actor is interesting because you have your yeah. expected Daniel Day-Lewis, Timothy Chalamet, Gary Oldman, and then you have friend of the podcast, Jamie Bell for Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool, which is really, I mean, he's a Brit, obviously, so they like that about him. But like, and he is really good at that movie. I just thought that movie had sort of fallen out of any kind of contention. That movie was supposed to be like Annette Benning's vehicle and it completely fell apart for her for that. So it just seemed like no one even saw um, it. Well, I guess the Baptist did. And then Daniel Kaluuya, which is really yeah. exciting. Yeah, well, and Daniel Kaluuya is British, which I think a lot of people wouldn't realize because Get Out was his breakthrough role. I hadn't realized he was on an episode of Black Mirror that I'd seen. Oh, is that I totally right? didn't put yeah. that together. Yeah, he's in the, the one where they're in kind of this dystopia where they are on bikes all the time and then they were trying to be on American Idol. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, I mean, Daniel Kaluuya's um, kind of uh, outsider best actor campaign is something we've talked about a couple of times, but it's starting to feel less and less outsider-y. I mean, he was nominated at the Globes in the comedy category, which is nuts. But showing up here, I mean, it just it's feeling... I've felt like actor was locked down for a while, but I don't like I don't I wouldn't be super surprised to see it happen now. Yeah, I think that it could happen. I, I mean, I hope it does. You know, I think also, uh, you know, over in the actress category, uh, Annette Penning being in there. Hey, OK, Margot Robbie. I mean, do we think that she's for sure hmm. and on the Oscar shortlist? Because obviously the other contender would be Meryl Streep. And if you look at this list, I mean, if we think Annette Benning is unlikely to get nominated, you could swap her for Meryl Streep and then I think have a pretty solid best actress category. So Street McDormand, Robbie Hawkins, and Ronan. That would make perfect sense to me. The lead of Paddington 2 is a, is a male, so we shouldn't. <laughs> so there's no Paddington surprise to be. The lead of Paddington 2 is a bear. <laughs> a very talented bear. There's a supporting actress category I like a lot because I think Kristen Scott Thomas is great in Darkest Hour, and I've been kind of waiting for her to get her moment. Uh, but then Octavia Spencer. Like, the, the people love The Shape of Water. I, people love Octavia Spencer. Like, that combination makes sense. But that role is so small that I truly did not expect this momentum to keep happening for her. She's holding on. And I, I, I don't know. I could I could see her taking it all the way. The big question mark, I think, in supporting, I don't think that Kristen Scott Thomas will get nominated for an Oscar. No. I don't either. I've been rooting for Ben Mendelsohn to get an actor nomination for that. I, I recognize I'm alone on that island. <laughs> I, I think that movie's just been too quiet here. But Leslie Manville did get a BAFTA nomination. Yeah. Also a previous guest on the show. That's right. Same episode with Jamie Bell. That's interesting. I love her in that movie. Again, it's a very, it's a pretty small role, but I don't know. I'll be, I'll be curious. I, I don't, I feel like she has some strong competition, you know, if, if that's like, if there's like one slot open in Best Supporting, I, you know, but uh, we'll see. I, I would I would be happy if she were. And she also has the thing going for her where she got these great reviews in another year and didn't get nominated for the Oscar. So there's kind of a, an overdue aspect to it. Same thing with Sally Hawkins, who was great in another Mike Lee movie, Happy Go Lucky, and then um, didn't get nominated. So hopefully uh, both of them can have their year this year. Yeah, that would be exciting. Um, also exciting is, well, and Daniel Kaluuya is also nominated in Rising Star mm-hmm. Awards, something that we the Oscars don't do, along with Tessa Thompson, which is cool, Timothy Chalamet, Josh O'Connor, who's in the great gay sheep farmers movie, um, God's Own Country. <laughs> not, not Brokeback Mountain. Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> Because they're just watching the sheep. They're not, they don't own the farm. Um, that's Randy Quaid owns the sheep. And then Florence Pugh from Lady Macbeth, which is a movie that like 
took a bunch of festivals by storm and had a pretty small release here, but it is great and people should see. And had I seen it more recently, it might have been closer to the top 10 lists or whatever, you know, that I put together. Um, and this actress, Florence Pugh, who's in her early 20s, is fantastic in it and is really one to watch. So I don't know. I kind of wish that the Academies would do something along those lines. Rising Star Awards yeah, or something fun, like that. Right? Yeah. I like that, you know, various critics groups will do Breakthrough Actor. And I think uh, Timothy Chalamet has won a, a solid number of those. Um, so, yeah, I, it, in, my, in my campaign to not bring children to award shows, I never want kids to be nominated for these things. But if you're in your early 20s, you're totally eligible. Keep going, Florence Pugh. So the next few weeks will be super busy with more nominations, more awards. Uh, We'll have the Critics' Choice Awards and then uh, Directors Guild nominations after we record this, maybe before you hear this, so hopefully we're not too far behind. Uh, And then the Oscar nominations are in less than two weeks, so it's going to be a busy couple weeks. Mike and Joanna will be back to join us. I know we keep promising that. They are not gone. They'll be coming back. In the meantime, you can find us all writing a lot of stuff at VanityFair.com. We're all on Twitter at LittleGoldMen, and we're on our own. I'm at Katie Rich and Richard. Rye Laws. And this week's award for the best justification for already giving up on your New Year's resolutions goes to Richard Lawson. There's no, like, real rule about what these people have to do. I mean, it's all it's all made up. This episode was edited and produced by Danielle Roth, and thanks to Andy Bowers at Panoply. <laughs>